is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As our host, Brandon, joining co host Dan, because it's a midweek, midday special. We've got Adam Newsom giving us some updates. And uh, you're really, you're really hot and bothered to get this one up, Dan. I mean, I'm excited to hear what you have planned for Adam. Hopefully, you've given him a heads up and you don't blindside him like Bully did to the rest of us today. Well, I mean, we are trying to make sure that we prepare guests, but when Graham Potter does a thrilling first press conference, when Jorginho drops and sprinkles in a couple of quotes there that people can latch onto, and then Todd Bully goes to a financial conference and starts dropping tons of answers on questions that are football related and very specifically about Chelsea. Surprise, he's the new owner. Guess we shouldn't be too shocked. Adam, I feel like we were talking about recording two to three hours ago, and then now we're here, and we have five different topics to cover now, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we probably should have expected this, right, given the way Chelsea have been this year, that it, it's never a dull day. <laughs> yeah. What do we what do we say? It's like dog ears falling, Chelsea. Multiples <laughs> of seven. Every one season feels like it's been an eternity. Uh, we've had the sanctions in the last 12 months. We've won the Club World Cup in the last 12 months, yet they seem like eternities away. So uh, anyways, for those of you unfamiliar, just to make sure our man, Adam Newson gets a good plug. Football.London is where you can find all of his great work. Absolute top, top Chelsea journalist covering the club that we got to hang out with uh, in the, uh, during the summer tour, which was great to, uh, I mean, that was like two you. years ago. It feels, <laughs> feels like it. Yeah. It felt like that, yeah. Uh, for different reasons. But anyways, uh, we just want to get some updates on what's going around with Chelsea. Uh, a lot of it will probably be around Graham Potter, uh, and some different things. So, uh, without really delay, you know, we kind of want to get a state of the state here. Um, obviously Graham Potter, recently announced immediately given the weekend off uh which was quite delightful we have the the champions league match against rb salzburg tomorrow which would be on wednesday uh probably the day you're listening to this so uh kick it off though potter era we're getting some chelsea tv interviews we're getting his press conferences uh initial thoughts feelings vibes that you're getting from graham potter to me he seems like a bit of a quiet reserved measured man is that how he's coming across the media or is he electric like antonio conte and we just don't see it <laughs> no i think what you see in the media is very much what you get with graham potter um speaking to people around the club they've sort of said you know there's no airs or graces about him at all he's, he's very humble modest um just a sort of normal guy really um which I guess isn't a huge surprise given his playing career wasn't necessarily, you know, an illustrious playing career. And he has, you know, done the hard route to get to this point as a coach. He, he's done the, the, the hard yards in Sweden and has built his reputation at Swansea and Brighton and is now getting this massive chance to coach Chelsea. Um, so I don't think it's a huge surprise he's coming in without an ego. Uh, hopefully that will be a very good thing for Chelsea. Um, and the squad, uh, because I think from everything I've read and, and bits and pieces I've heard about Potter is he seems quite a relatable guy uh, and a guy who doesn't ever be harsh with players, Is tries to understand them as people um, before uh, professionals, basically, because he wants to make sure he, he knows what motivates a lot of people. Um, and, and obviously, you know, different people are motivated by different things. So I think in these opening where are we now? Five days, four days. Um, he's, you know, getting to know everybody. He he's not trying to be anything he isn't. He's not trying to be Thomas Tuchel and drop 
excellent one-liners in press conferences. It's not going to be his style. Um, he's going to do things his way. Um, and I think that will, that will serve him well in time because today in the press conference, like I say, he, he wasn't electric like someone like Tuchel. He, you know, you are kind of hanging on their every word. But I thought there was also a sort of a, a quiet authority to him, um, I felt. Adam, as you look at it now, so we're five days, six days into having Graham Potter appointed into the you know, dismissal of Tuchel. There's been a lot of shaping of the narratives, I think, from whether that's Tuchel's camp, whether that's the club, whether that's just general opinion out in the world. I guess looking at it now with a little bit more hindsight, what's becoming clear in the process? So I think that people made a lot of assumptions around how premeditated this may have been. We've heard from Todd Bowley now today at the SALT conference where he was mentioning, you know, the how the decision came about, which I think is part of the conversation that had been missing up to this point. So I guess from your perspective, as you go back to like re-report it in your mind, what do we know now about how this all came to fruition, both the sacking of Tuchel and the appointment of Potter? Well, in terms of Tuchel, I mean, the sort of seeds for this were sown on, on the preseason tour, and, and you guys were out there on a lot of that. Um, and it was clear that, that Tuchel wasn't overly happy with certain things. And at that point, it was easy to, to put it down to, you know, the travel, the time zones, the heat, the fact that... Um, that he didn't like the pitch in uh, UCLA. I mean, there were a few grumbles that you heard, but it, it, it sort of became apparent whilst we were, you know, whilst I was out in America and, and others were, that, that Tucker wasn't necessarily enamoured with everything. Um, and the hope was that once you get him back to Cobham and get the squad back to Cobham, things would settle down and and it would all get back to normal. But I think as, you know, as the longer that, that, that Todd Bowley and, and Badetta Bali and, and Tucker worked together, the more it became clear that, that maybe they weren't suited for each other um and you know what i don't think that's a huge huge issue i mean these guys spent a lot of money on the club um they obviously view it as a business as well as a football club and and they want to have a guy leading that who they feel is aligned with their beliefs and how they want to work um there was never any doubt i don't think on the part of bowling and barley about Tuchel's ability as a coach um I think they knew he was an absolute brilliant coach, um, a guy who could deliver success in a certain environment. But it wasn't the environment that they wanted to, to sort of develop at Chelsea. They they wanted to develop a very collaborative, a very open um, environment at Chelsea where everybody speaks to each other. There's no walls between departments. There's no sort of hushed conversations between a very closed group of people. They want everybody to be able to communicate. Um, and And maybe that wasn't what Thomas or, or sort of how Thomas wanted to work. He had his coaching staff he was very close with. And obviously he had Marina Granovskar and Petr Cech before then, who he was, you know, especially with Czech. I think, I think you can't overlook how big Czech's departure was for, for Tuchel because of how important he was for him. Um, and, you know, ultimately it came to the point where, where the new owners decided that Tuchel wasn't going to be the fit that they wanted and, and they wanted their own man. And, you know, they'd done some recon on Graham Potter by the sounds of it in the summer. Um, you know, I think it's been highlighted that when Chelsea held talks with Kukurea, um and Brighton that, that, that Bowley already knew a lot about Graham Potter. And that maybe isn't necessary to say he was already thinking about doing uh, that then. He was just, you know, maybe doing some due diligence on, on potential options for the future. Um, and then obviously it happened within the space of 
sort of a little more than 24 hours last week that, that Tuchel went and Potter came in and, and Chelsea have another new head coach. Following up on that, you know, I think we've seen some of the quotes from Bowley now, or for those who haven't, he referenced some of the things about how the vision of finding a manager who really wanted to collaborate less to coach who wanted to collaborate. There's a lot of walls to break down at Chelsea, which is what you referenced. But then he followed that up on the academy and first team bridge about how they didn't share information about where the top players were coming from. So our goal is really bring the team together with the academy and the first team and the lack of Data sharing across a academy and first team seems pretty wild to me, Adam, when you've had some of the most consistent performers in your first team squad be individuals that came from that that setup. And so were you surprised to hear that or does that ring true with maybe what we've seen within how the minutes have been distributed potentially to you know senior internationals versus trying to kind of embed a new academy player this season? It didn't surprise me, um, and I think it, and without wanting to get into the culture war of Frank Lampard and everything, but I think you've looked back to Lampard's time, and he obviously had Jody Morris and Joe Edwards on on his first team staff, so he had that link to the academy within his coaching team. Now those guys have since moved on, haven't been sort of really replaced in the first team staff. So the fact that there wasn't that link anymore didn't surprise me, um, if I'm being honest. I think the fact that the data teams don't share information is strange. Um, and it is something that has to change across the board. And from what I can gather, you know, this, like it or not, Roman Abramovich set up Chelsea in a certain way where he had very trusted people in certain positions. And it wasn't, uh, you know, just email. You can just email this person. You can find out this information. It, it was a bit more individual and, and people had you know their, their certain groups and, and there wasn't a huge crossover between departments and you know that has led to problems you know we, we've seen some news reports and and it's time I think that Chelsea probably take themselves forward as a as a club um, and Todd Bowley and, and the new ownership group really want to do that um, and you'd like to think that you know in time as, as more data is shared as more knowledge is gained across all departments that it benefits not only the first team but all levels of the club. Well, I tell you what, I think that that's also to your your question, Dan, that's a little bit more probably ownership leadership based versus manager to manager because, you know, they have to work within these structures. But yeah, to your point, it's crazy, especially with the success of the academy and developing players. You know, Matt Law always, he's a huge Eminalo fan, right? And he always talks about like the, the Eminalo days where it seemed like everybody was on the same page and that had gone away. So we'll have to really see how this all shakes out again posturing at the highest level of bully because Tuchel tweeted for the first time since like 2020. And then before that, it was like his PSG announcement in 2019. Like the dude doesn't tweet. So for him to like have to, you know, like when you haven't used an app in a long time and like your phone shelves it in the cloud because you don't use it, he had to like re-download Twitter to send those tweets. He had to reset his password. He had to redo yeah. his two-factor. He never set up two-factor authentication. That no thing wasn't shot. turned on at all. Yeah, they're like, we we feel like you're in a different country than last time you tweeted, sir. Uh, is this you? <laughs> Anyways, suspicious activity on this account. <laughs> yeah, like, have you been in Germany, France, and now England? Are you okay? Anyways, um, Adam, multi-club right? Pinball style, multi-ball and activated. He wants feeder clubs in different countries. He wants total 
domination. He wants an all-star game. Todd Bowley is here to just ruin everyone's day. Uh, There's not Chelsea FC. We're going to have to see how it goes. But I think the one thing you got was his ambition. He is thinking at such a macro level when it comes to Chelsea. Now, is he going to do everything? Only time will tell. And I'm sure there's going to be barriers and roadblocks to certain things. But my word, he seems to be thinking genuinely about like world domination. And especially if we hone in on that multi-club model, obviously he talked about RBC, the, R, the Red Bull model, RBC, RB Leipzig, RB Salzburg. Um, uh, the city football group is obviously well known. They have teams, I believe in Belgium and Australia. Um, I think he sees some advantages to it. And I think specifically he talked about developing players. Loans are a little bit risky because you're outsourcing development to non-Chelsea interested people um what did you make of all of that very interesting um although perhaps not entirely surprising um it makes sense from a club of, of chelsea side uh, chelsea size and chelsea's ambition to find better ways to develop younger players um and you kind of like it or not the city football group model and Probably more what Red Bull have done is is a better one in terms of the link between Salzburg and Leipzig because these are two sides that compete regularly in the Champions League yet still are able to sort of bring players from from one club to another. You know, I, I do agree with Todd Bowley in the sense of you you look at loan players and we've seen very talented loan players leave Chelsea, and then after half a season you're left sitting there going, oh my god, this guy's not playing. Why is he not playing? It's it's really bad for his development. So. Of course, to have that sort of internal solution almost of, of being able to send them to another club is uh, that's owned by you is attractive. Um, we'll see how easy this empire is to build. Obviously, football clubs can be very expensive, um, especially those that compete uh, in Europe and and potentially at the level that Bodhi would maybe like to have uh, another club at. Um, but as long as you, and this is something you know we were discussing before we, we started recording, as long as you can keep each club's culture um, and each club's, you know, individual sort of personality almost um, within your group. Um, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world on the part of Chelsea, and I do think it can help them and ensure that even, you know, the academy players and, and those brought in, you know, people like Chukwameka and Kassadai, these guys maybe can take their, their first steps in senior football at a club that is owned um, by the Chelsea ownership and, and with the view that one day these guys they're being put on the path basically to Chelsea first team. I mean, I love hearing about development, Dan, anytime you can hear about protecting our assets, developing players. Uh, he got flamed a little bit for the La Masia and, and saying that we developed KDB and Sala, but his heart's in the right place. I think if you're a Chelsea fan, I, Chelsea fan, I wouldn't get too caught up, especially like the four, four, three. I mean, that's just like cheap shit to throw at him. I think we all kind of understand that he's not meant to be a soccer expert. He's meant to be, a a an owner operator of elite sports teams so like at least i can forgive the guy i don't know i'm sure there's people out there like excited to throw darts at him over it well when you take out an individual soundbite and amplify it out of the full context it can definitely distort the original intent of the message and so I could imagine where someone said something and then corrected themselves, but taken in context or being weaponized by either side as they look to win a little bit of the divorce 
you know, I think that, you know, we, we all as Chelsea supporters are the kids and we have uh, former parent Hamas Tuchel and uh, current uh, custodial parent of Todd Bowley and Chelsea, uh, both trying to convince us that they have uh, our best interests at heart or that they weren't the problem in the the ending. And so I think Todd and the way he talked about this in terms of it not just be just not being the right fit for both sides makes a lot of sense and I think helps us move into a new era together. I, I just I wouldn't look too far beyond it. And I think the other encouraging thing that Todd shared in that was just talking about how he and his organization, his team, they called it human capital, but knowing people, knowing that this is not up to them to do solely and needing to empower people, particularly after a summer where Todd and Igbali and others had to be way more hands-on and looking to get people in the right position with the right credentials so that they can focus on the things that they want to focus on to take the club forward and not have to be a sporting director and a lead scout and an advisor to the manager is going to just do wonders for pushing the club forward. We're we're in such an early day period of it still that I think that gets lost, that we expect them all to be perfect. And this is a growing opportunity for, for everyone. I just think on, on Bowley's comments as well, there are going to be comments made today or the, or the comments made today by Top Bowley. There are going to be people who don't like them and see this as a challenge to tradition and blah, 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 English or heritage, etc. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having these conversations. And Todd Burley is is floating ideas. And he's not saying that everything he's saying is the right thing to do or the best way forward. He's just suggesting ideas, discussion points that they can have in the future. And I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with doing that. Um, he's certainly not trying to change English football or, or suggest the Premier League should completely revolutionise what it does. It's It's just a starting point to have a discussion. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Well, I think you're, you're going to get people who latch on to the idea of the all-star game, all which star is very game. popular. All-star game. <laughs> it's, it's a very popular concept in U.S. sport, and the fact that he framed it as like a way to potentially do funding for the entirety of the football exactly. period. Exactly. Context it, is key. The context is key, not, hey – He's proposing an all-star game. Well, of course, if he just said in context, an all-star game doesn't more hats make sense. And scarves. <laughs> <laughs> a Premier League hat, uh, Rob Lowe style with the NFL shield on it. <laughs> to be fair, I'd love to see the dynamics of an all-star game in the Premier League when you, I don't know how you do it without pissing off clubs, basically. Because if you're saying, can we just pinch a couple of your best players to play this game? I imagine and most of them would be like, no. Yeah, no, welcome you. Welcome to America, my man. That's exactly what <laughs> happens every but, year. But if they could say, hey, this would allow us to, you know, you all use the championship and lower leagues to grow your players. You want to have more places to put them potentially in England versus having to send them overseas to a different organization. This will pump more money into those clubs and allow the game to kind of continue to grow within the UK. I think there's a good initial at least framing pitch that you could put together i don't know how well it will be received because again it came from someone with our accent versus your accent yeah. Adam, and uh, that definitely <laughs> always is a little bit of the initial barrier but hopefully more conversation can occur between all parties about ideas like this it might 
might ultimately help the game and improve longevity and allow for clubs who have continued to be financially impacted post-COVID to get the operating funds that they need. Like that, that to me sounds like a very positive idea, but again, it's still early days. Well, I, I would like to leave you with this thought before we hit the ad break that he did not rule out the Super League. Yeah, we all heard it. And then again, context is key. Uh, they kept pushing him on it. It was so funny to hear, but uh, he reversed it, I thought, quite well and said the Champions League has so much to offer. Why would you change it? Uh, but again, the the shots were taken. Todd was in the batter's box just fighting for his life, foul ball after foul ball, trying to stay alive till he could hit his home run, uh, which I think he did at the end. But anyways, that was much too cheeky for my part. We're going to take our ad break. When we're back, we're going to talk more on Graham Potter and the next chapter in Chelsea's managerial book. So thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right, Dan, cue the Harry Potter memes. Am I right? Uh, I think there's going to be a fair number of them throughout uh, Graham Potter's tenure, uh, at least initially as we get to know him. I'm sure he'll come up with his own identity as a manager, but... This is, uh, Adam, as I think all of us uncovered today, not just the first game that Potter will be managing in the Champions League. He does have experience in Europa League uh, in so far, but also the first one he's attending as well, <laughs> which is uh, quite a, a, a dual night for him uh, to get the best seat in the house to witness his first Champions League match and to coach it. Yeah, it's going to be strange. I have more Champions League experience than the Chelsea head coach tomorrow um look I, I don't think it's a huge issue to be completely honest um as you say he's got Europa League experience he he's coached in the Premier League he he knows his way around way around things that you know he knows how to, to set up a team against very very good sides he's beaten very very good Premier League sides of course you you know the environment of the Champions League I guess the atmosphere might be a touch different um I mean, it will be a touch different tomorrow night just because of circumstances around the game. But I don't think it's a massive problem, personally. Um, I do think that the game is very important from a Chelsea perspective because having dropped points um, against Dinamo Zagreb, I don't think Chelsea can afford not to win this one because it doesn't leave them with any wiggle room going into the Milan games. You you want to be in a position where you can take a draw from one of those and is, you know, throw some darts at a board at this point and, and see. Um, but... As I say, I think uh, I think the fact that he doesn't, you know, he hasn't been to a Champions League game or coached in one is is being a little uh, oversold, in my opinion. Well, I think the maybe bigger concern is the players that he won't have available for this matchup in no N'Golo Kante and no Edouard Mendy for him, which I think creates some challenges for him as he's looking to maybe draw up his eleven. Is there any indication based upon what you're looking at, both within his history at Brighton or just maybe who is available and healthy as what you think the the starting 11 might look like? I'm not putting in a commit to personnel because that is a, say, that is a, that's a wild guess. I would be very surprised if he massively deviated away from the sort of 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 system. Um, it's what he sort of favoured at Brighton. Um, and I think given the circumstances uh you know yes he's had a few days to work with the players but i'm not sure he would throw out everything that thomas Tuchel had done um so i do think we'll probably see the three say three five two or three four three um i guess the hope is that within that you'll see certain attacking players given maybe a bit more license to express themselves i think that was 
one of the sort of standout quotes he did uh, in his sort of is his discussion with the Chelsea website, you know, giving players license to make mistakes, to take risks. Uh, and that is something we probably haven't seen for a while in the Chelsea tack. There was very much a feeling of Chelsea being a bit safe, maybe even a little bit stale under Tuchel in, in the final third. So um, I think it will hopefully help those guys. Um, and, you know, like, if you if you want me to have a stab at the team, I mean, you know, Thiago Silva will come back in, I'm sure, uh, having not played last week. I have a feeling Aubameyang will probably start just as a as a show of faith that you know you're not just a typical guy. We believe in you, um, and I think Sterling starts as well. And and you know, I guess the big interesting thing is is does he throw Kukurea straight back in, having having sort of come out of the team for Chilwell last week, um, because obviously they know each other very well from their time at Brighton. I I, I think that's about as far as you want to get probably in naming names at this point. I mean, you could probably throw Kepa and feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> The good news, I think, with those injuries is that it's not like he was preparing with them and then lost them right before the match. I mean, I'm sure he came in, and by the time he got there, he realized Mendy had a knock, and we already knew Conte was out. So that that definitely, I think, helps with the situation. And then knowing that one of the two injured players is a goalkeeper where it's literally straight in, straight out. There's no, you know, Ruben at right wing back going into center mid and kind of having to shift formations or things like that. So I, I think that helps him minus having the world-class player there. Um you know, I, I think one of the you kind of touched on Kukurea. Obviously, they have experience together. Obviously, Kukurea owes him a lot for the the growth in his career, going from you know what was a Hitafe in Spain to to Brighton and now to Chelsea in very quick succession. I would like to think that all players are on the chopping block with Potter, right? You got everyone needs this clean slate, earn their earn their their role in there. But do you feel like based on I guess what you've been learning as you talk to people are the people you think that he's going to lean on more. Is this going to be the third manager in a row to like Mason Mount? Could you imagine? <laughs> I think he might like Mason Mount, guys. Um, <laughs> not, to, not to shock everybody. But Frank's son is still around. Yeah, I think the, the guy who has sort of earned the trust of two Chelsea head coaches and the England head coach might just have a role to play under the next uh, Chelsea head coach. Um, I think, as you say, it is a clean slate for everybody. And from speaking to people around Cobham, I mean, there has been a, a sort of a renewed vigour around the place. Um, you know, it, it did get a little bit dreary towards the end of the Tuchel era. I mean, from what I can understand, you know, and, and from what's been reported as well, his communication with players had, had dropped off a lot. Um, there wasn't necessarily too much explanation as to why certain players were playing, why others weren't, um, what a certain player who wasn't playing could get, could do to get back into the team. So I think when a new manager uh, comes in in this situation, everybody is eager to impress and, and, and make their mark. I think it's logical, especially for this first game, um, that somebody like Kukurea gets leaned on a little bit more, maybe the experience of, of Silva, Koulibaly, um Jorginho in midfield, Aubameyang. I mean, it's, it's kind of logical. You turn to these more experienced heads on, on nights like this. Does he does he bring Cesar Azpilicueta back into the, the starting eleven? I mean, perhaps. I mean, Aspi seems to have this ability after a new head coach to come in to suddenly find himself back in the team and perform well for a period. Um, so I wouldn't be hugely surprised if it was a sort of back three of Azpi, Silva and Koulibaly um, and with Reese at right wing back. And... Um, 
and then he has, I think it's what, two, two and a half weeks, basically. Um, of course, part of that's the international break, but he'll have two and a half weeks, Graham Potter, to probably sit down and and really evaluate the squad. Um, of course, most of the players won't be around, but he'll have a good chance to watch footage, to go back over previous games, to speak to other players who are at the club still, who to speak to, you know, to coaches who have stayed on to get a really good idea of what this squad is and, and who are the leaders in this squad and who he will be able to lean on because, yes, he's had conversation with senior players and, and players in the squad, but you know, there's only so much you can glean from those because every player has their own um, sort of agenda they want to push or, or desire to, to, to get. So I think this first match will be probably the experience in a, in a similar way to I think Tuchel's first match was, was lent on experience as well. Um, and then he will have a good couple of weeks to really get his feet under the table and work out where he wants to take this Chelsea side and, and the squad going forward. Is there any sense on any of the coaching staff that has uh, stayed around that's more of a Chelsea figure versus a Tuchel figure who may make their way into the the grouping that Potter brought with him? So is there anyone who kind of in the periphery or maybe kind of early promotion from the, the academy side who might be that human bridge? We've talked about the data bridge, but is there thoughts around like a human bridge that would exist too? I mean, I've not heard that as yet. Um, and obviously most academy decisions are sort of involving Neil Bath in terms of where his staff go. Um, Anthony Barry is still around. Um, obviously a big part of, you know, brought in by Frank Lampard, a big part of Tuchel's coaching staff. Um, he's still working with the first team under Graham Potter so far. So he at least can bring in that, as I was saying, that sort of experience of of the squad and, and the players. He knows them well. Um, but in terms of a, a bridge between the academy and first team, which, as you say, is is quite a logical role that you, you feel should should be had. Um, I've not heard anything on that front, but but look, Graham Potter's brought in quite a lot of star, so there may be in time um, that somebody sort of takes up that role a little bit as as the weeks and months progress. Odds that he changes the captaincy? I mean, I don't think he will because Cesar Azpilicueta is everything you'd want from a club captain. Um, yes, he may not be the player he was five years ago, but as a, as a leader, as a professional guy who will do everything you ask of him, who will set an example. Uh, as a guy who, and let's face it, there is a certain ceremonial element to being club captain. You have to go to functions and represent the club. You're not going to find someone better than Cesar Espelicueta to do that. So I would be surprised if he changed the captaincy. Fair enough. That was definitely kind of a a Hail Mary on that one. Uh, again, no time soon, I think, would that happen. And Aspi has limited minutes at times, so it's like, Usually he's captain, but you have someone else wearing the armband on the field too. So uh, I hear you. All right. The next one up is Conte contract questions. There's a rumor about a potential contract extension for Conte, who is nearing free agency status. What's your understanding about what the club and the player want and where there's potentially an agreement? My understanding is that Marina's team offered three plus one, Bully's offering two plus one, and Gola said three plus one sounded better. So <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, that seems to be the story of it. Um, and from Kante's perspective, you can completely understand why. Um, I actually wrote a piece on this for, for Football London today where you look at Chelsea's win percentage in the Premier League uh, under Thomas Tuchel when Kante was around, it was far higher than when he wasn't. So, yes, he's had his injuries. And, and of course, that has to come into your thinking. But I think Kante can point to the fact of, look, when I am fit, I do make this team an awful lot better. So you may want to keep me around for... For a little bit longer um but 
from Chelsea's perspective, if you're only getting 25 games of N'Golo Kante at his top level, is he worth that financial investment? And, and let's keep in mind, he is one of the best paid players in the squad, deservedly so. But for the next three years, do you want him to stay as the best, one of the best paid players in the squad when you're getting, I don't know, 50% of the games out of him? Um, it's a very difficult decision, Matt. Um, and I don't personally have a, a sort of cure-all answer. But I do think there may be an element of responsibility, perhaps, on Graham Potter to almost take away a bit of the dependency on Kante. Um, now, he can either do that through system, through sort of tactical approach. Sort of Dennis Sakari is probably a bit of a wild card in this respect. Maybe in time, if he can stay fit, if he can get up to speed at Chelsea, he can take some of that pressure off Kante. Um, and if you can do that, you can maybe go into contract negotiations and go, look, we we found a way to play without you now. Um, so let's maybe talk about things in a very different way that we are now where we kind of know you are our best player when you are fit. Um, and you know that too. Um, but maybe we don't want to commit to you for three years when we feel we're not going to get all the matches that we need out of you. Well, it's crazy to think about the fact that he's been at Chelsea now since the 2016-2017 season. And in his first three years at the club, it was... 3,100 minutes, 2,900 minutes, 3,000 minutes, just in the Premier League alone, not including any European or additional competition. And that has fallen to 1,700, uh, 2,100, and 1,700 again in the last three seasons. And so I think to your point, Adam, I feel like the challenge is going to be both sides convincing each other on (laughs) what the dependency is on one another and what the reliance is. And if... Graham Potter can come up with a solution that makes it a more equitable deal for Chelsea where N'Golo Conte can stay, can potentially become a player who gets managed a little bit more like Thiago Silva. Because I, I think maybe the challenge is, is that there's been an over-reliance on N'Golo Conte because he hasn't been able to get subbed off. He hasn't been able to be treated um, in a different manner, like someone who is an aging player with injury in the same way that maybe Thiago Silva has, where it's like, hey, let's get him a match off because we need to preserve him, we need to protect him because the options in midfield have been pretty poor over the last few seasons when you look at who the backup is. Yeah, and that's obviously you know poor planning and or, or poor squad development on Chelsea's part that they haven't been able to, to move away from Kante. And, and Tuchel did at times you know, try and protect Kante. He, he tried to leave him out of matches when possible, tried to put him on the bench, but often in those games you were having to bring him on anyway, either to try and save the game or maybe see out a game. So it is a culmination of, you know, yes, Kante's injury injury record hasn't been great and you can kind of trace it back to, to him playing uh, the Europa League final uh, against Arsenal with a huge injury that you sort of just play through. Um, you can, you know, weave in the fact that squad planning hasn't been great and that central midfield position hasn't been properly looked at over the last two or three years. Um and you can maybe, you know, you can make an argument to Kante, you know, you, you, yes, you're brilliant. We know you're brilliant, but can you be demanding top dollar when we can't demand you play every single week? And you know, this is a conversation my colleague Daniel Charles and I were having. At what point does a key player stop becoming a key player if they're never playing? It, it's a great point. I think with a lot of that, um, I would also very shamelessly plug the fact that I did an Angola Kante contract uh, video on YouTube. We're doing more content more than ever. Uh, and my biggest complaint... Brandon, do we have a YouTube account? We Well, it's a channel, actually, Dan. My gosh. You subscribe to it. You <laughs> smash the button. 
That's how it works. You, is, it, is, it, is there a like button? People are smash, smash the like button, Dan. Damn it. Okay, you don't press it. Can people subscribe? Uh, yes. I, ideally, they actually just they sign up to the channel and just tip away, just donations. Should they share it with friends and family and loved ones? Anyway, people who don't like Chelsea. My entire my big my big annoyance with the club in Conte is it we've known for a while now he has injury issues and we have done squats, nothing to come up with some kind of transition plan off of our over-reliance about him. The club had an opportunity to cash in on him and try to buy maybe two players and he was at his peak. They opted not to. Uh, instead, we're going to you know keep him from as long as we can, which is fine. But at some point, you still have to have a transition plan and we might end up having him go for free and then needing money to fund more of a Declan Rice move if it is literally that simple. But something has to happen, and nothing has happened up to this point. I talk more about it in the video, but that is my big gripe when it comes to the lack of con like contingency planning around N'Golo Conte. We've literally, if he's in, great. If not, we, we're dead in the water. Again, let's see what Zakaria can bring. Hopefully, a presence. The dude is a massive unit. But lastly, Dan... It's not about all in the pitch, right? Sometimes you got to boost and beef up the front office. They got some empty offices at the offices over at Stanford Bridge. They got to fill them. Got to put some bodies in there. A lot of people left. So we're looking at sporting directors, technical directors, director of footballs. Apparently, we're not looking at loan program people, analysts like Petr Cech. Poor one out for my homie. Well, I, I think, the, as, as you are wont to do, I think that, Adam, as we look at the names, we're starting to see some acceleration in conversation. I think we always thought that maybe as we got to the international break that this would start to happen with the club wanting someone in place before the January transfer window, you know, pre-World Cup to really start vetting what the moves are that are going to be available to Chelsea and what can they get done in that winter window to, you know, strengthen the squad or refresh the squad. But we're seeing now Salberg's uh, Christoph Frund and also Luis Campos, also another surprise name potentially being touted as being affiliated and potentially multiple structures of, well, you could fit, you know, could you get Paul Mitchell in to work with one of them if the appetite of the project was exciting enough? Just crazy stuff. And what are you making of all of the names, the links? It seems very similar to Chelsea's strategy within the summer transfer window. It was like, let's put out a lot of feelers and then settle down on the options that can become available to us. But also seemingly in a, a Another example of Todd and team really wanting to go for the best available that that fits their best available and ones that also fit their need. Yeah, I think that's important, as you're saying, Dan. They are going for sporting directors, really, who are best in class and and are very good at building squads um, and forward planning. How many cooks you can put into a department that does that is i guess the debate and and the fact that you know it's it's been discussed that someone like christoph and and luis campos could come into the same structure is is very interesting because i always feel you need one you need one guy who is driving the idea um and the vision forward and and i don't know how that works if you've got two maybe you know very very good and adept sporting directors who want to maybe have slightly different ideas but uh, it shows the the ambition again of Todd Bowley and the new ownership. They want to get the very best people on board. Um, you know, we know that they've 
they've made a strong pitch to Michael Edwards, who was obviously at Liverpool and oversaw their sort of uh, rise back to the top alongside Jurgen Klopp. But say, from what I understand, he's very much telling him, you know, I, I'm very impressed by what you're coming with me, uh, what you're coming to me with. But I kind of have said to you know my family that I'll take a year off. So sorry, um, I'm going to stick to that. Um, but as I say, it's 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 exciting from a Chelsea perspective seeing some of the guys that, that they've been linked with for this sporting director role, just from the the fact that a lot of them have have built squads based around young players. They've had um they've had plans in place. It's exactly what Brandon's saying about Kante. They they've had place, you know, in plans in place to ensure that if a player goes or if a player doesn't maybe hit the level expected, they've got another guy ready to come in. Um from what you know, you want you know, from what I understand about about the, the ownership at the moment, they are doing a lot of forward planning already. They want to have sort of structures and, and plans in place going into next summer. They they certainly don't want another summer like they've had. They want a clear ideas of who they're going to go after. Um, and they want to get the sporting director in before the World Cup to help them do that. Because yes, January transfer window, but it is also about getting people in early, letting them get the people they feel um, would benefit Chelsea's well into the building and really, really building towards the summer of, of 23 as, as the next big sort of recruitment um, drive from, from Chelsea's perspective. All right. I think that, like a lot of things Todd Bully does, will move fast. I think yes. we're going to see pretty quickly a new org structure, new hierarchy. Again, to go back to that SALT conference, he says his job is to put the right resources in place to be successful within kind of the high vision that he has. This is a big... Uh, here, here's here's the question, though, uh, for all the three of us, is will we have a sporting director or someone in that capacity in place by the time that Chelsea next kick a ball in the Premier League, which oh. will be the 1st of October? Yeah, it seems like it at this point. I mean, <laughs> October is so far away in, in the way Bully acts. I don't know what you think, Adam. 17 days. That, that's like five <laughs> years in, in Todd Bully Chelsea time. I mean, at this point, it wouldn't shock me. I, I don't think it's quite all there yet, but um, but yeah, I say given everything that's happened this summer and and the speed at which they managed to go and get Graham Potter after they managed to after they decided to to sort of part ways with Thomas Tuchel, I mean, I wouldn't put anything beyond them. If if they set their mind to something, they seem like they're going to do it and they're going to do it quickly. Yeah. And this will signal another big change from the Roman era where he didn't have a director of football, a sporting director, you know, all these different things, right? He just, he ran it his way. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of us fans are quite happy with the way it went overall, but this is definitely a, a strong signal of change. That, um, But it's also very typical around Europe and things like that. So uh, it's just all about getting the right people in the right places. And, and that's what Todd wants to do. So anyways, that's going to wrap us up. Adam, thanks a ton for jumping and taking some time out of your day, jumping in with us and just kind of give us a, a state of the state, especially with all these moving pieces going on at Chelsea. Really appreciate it. No worries, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Awesome. Again, Adam Newson, football.london. Uh, we'll get the Twitter link in the bio. Make sure to go click it. Give him a follow and tell him thank you for sharing all the Chelsea knowledge. He's a true uh, a vet of the game. But anyways, that's going to wrap us up. More, more, more content coming at you guys. You know that. Uh, again, shameless plug. I'm doing a lot of YouTube stuff. Go check it out. Join our Discord community through Patreon. Amazing group Chelsea fans talking Chelsea every day, all day. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.